It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello. And welcome to the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I'm Charlie Burns. Here, as always, with my co-host, A to Z sports writer, Zach Reagan. Wherever you listen throughout the world, we thank you so much for listening to us. Once again, we are live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, on the A to Z Sports Network. As people file in here, I'll get through all of the niceties. If you want to listen to the show regularly, which our regular schedule is uh, Mondays at 4 p.m. That's when our live streams are going to be. Mondays at 4 p.m., the Big Orange Podcast on all the A to Z sports socials. Um, Go to the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed. Also, if you can't tune in live and subscribe there, Apple, Spotify, and you won't miss an episode when we drop them right afterwards, right after the live stream on Mondays. Uh, what else? YouTube. Well, I mean, specifically YouTube, although there's a number of people already watching on YouTube here. Type in A to Z Sports. You'll find us there at Charlie to score Burris at Zach TNT at A to Z Sports, Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports, Nashville on all the social media and A to Z Sports.com for all the stuff that Zach and I write on the Internet. Tennessee just laid the wood. To Ball State last night, fifty-nine to ten. Really did it without all that much effort. Unfortunately for uh, Ball State, they just—I um, don't want to say they rolled over. They, they didn't. Ball State played hard, but to, I mean, it was what twenty-three seconds in, and Tennessee was up by uh, seven points already. T- twenty-three seconds in, and Tennessee didn't have the ball first. <laughs> Tennessee was up by seven. It was a rough night uh, for the old Cardinals, but uh, fun nonetheless. We're through game one, Zach. How are you, sir? I mean, when you talk about uh, a business trip, I mean, Tennessee didn't leave town, but that felt like a a business ordeal. They just went in there. They handled business, and uh, it was fun to watch, man. What a start, getting the interception, getting the touchdown. I mean, you can't. You can't draw up a better start to the season if you're a Tennessee fan, and that was just it's just a fun way to spend a Thursday night. I thought it really was great. Just uh, low stress, which is always so nice when you're talking about Tennessee sports. Doesn't happen too often. <laughs> um, I mean, just from the jump, you you just saw immediately after that first play the interception by Tamari McDonald, T Mac, as Tim Banks calls him. Um, you were just like, all right, this one's over. This one's done <laughs> literally from play one. Uh, it was, it was essentially over. And I think everybody felt that to, to the point where like late in the game, Tennessee was up by 52, um, ultimately only won by 49. What a shame. Huh. Uh, but you know, they were just up by so much like the t- announcers were talking about like their friends from college. Cole Kublik was like begging to give kids autographs. I don't know what was going on. That whole thing just devolved. Uh, it was ridiculous, and and Jordan Rogers was as terrible as ever. That guy just, ugh, get him off my TV. Um, Tom Hart always great though, but uh, just fun all the way around. Glad that that was the opening game, and specifically glad that was the opening game because Pittsburgh went through the ringer last night, and that is Tennessee's next game. Obviously, we're going to talk uh, about that coming up. Uh, but, uh, they, uh, had a tough, tough time putting away West Virginia, but ultimately did really it hinged on a, a pick six and, and we're going to cover how, how that plays into Tennessee. Cause hopefully at a minimum, it's going to be Pittsburgh had to put a ton behind this rivalry game. Maybe they come in a little tired next week. Um, and Tennessee just got to sit there with their feet up and just annihilate ball state. So it's, uh, Fun, fun night all the way around. And now, on, dude, on Saturday, we just get to sit around, do whatever we want, watch all of the games uh, that are that are coming up. But uh, 
before we we talk about all of that, we gotta pay some bills. We gotta thank our amazing sponsor, which is, if I can do this, Superbook Sports. Football is back, and nobody is more excited than your friends at Superbook Sports. Superbook is bringing Vegas style wagering to the palm of your hands, and now they will match one hundred percent of your first bet up to one thousand dollars. I did this uh, not for one thousand dollars because I'm not rich enough to do that, uh, but. They will match that uh, first bet up to $1,000 no matter if the bet wins or loses. It's totally awesome. You don't have to be in Nashville or Knoxville to enjoy football this fall. Visit Superbook.com or download the Superbook Tennessee app right now and start getting in on all the action. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-889-9789. Zach, from the, the Superbook app this was uh, one of the more interesting lines and this i it allows me to also throw in free promo for my uh my post game show with jonathan crompton me and jonathan crompton halftime post game of every tennessee game the big orange game day reaction show me and uh former vols quarterback jonathan crompton uh chop it up on there we were on last night and crompton was giving his prediction for the season and he went bold let me tell you i won't reveal here exactly what he said you gotta go watch a to z sports on youtube go search it up and you can watch our uh, our half or uh, our halftime and our post game show but uh something bold that he said that i uh, i'll discuss here is that he said he thinks george is gonna lose tomorrow um dan lanning george's former defensive coordinator now the coach at oregon a pretty intriguing matchup the line is 17 I'm not even going to ask you, Zach, is Georgia going to win this one? Although that might be your answer. But is Georgia going to cover the 17-point spread? That's a lot. Oregon, losing Mario Cristobal, who's a highly lauded coach, going to Miami, making waves there. How are you feeling about this game? I mean, anytime there's a first-time head coach who has never coached a college football game before, which I think is the case with Dan Lanning. I know he's the defensive coordinator at Georgia. I don't know if he has some some minor head coaching experience at some point along the way during his career. But anytime you got a first-time head coach like that playing in a big game like this, he's 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 they're not in Athens, they're in Atlanta, but he's still he's coming back to Georgia, close to where he was for for several years. And I think the advantage obviously is with Georgia, even though they lost a ton of talent from last year i just i think about that jeremy pruitt game against west virginia and just how bad tennessee looked in his first game just kind of how out of sorts he was and i know there's been questions about pruitt and his coaching abilities his coaching you know as a head coach and dan lanning's gonna have those same questions he has to answer but it's just hard for me to see a a brand new coach going in there even with the talent that oregon has and and covering the spread there it's gonna be real tough I agree. I think Georgia covers that 17 points. It might be late. I think that game, it might remain close. Might might be kind of weird late into the third quarter, but ultimately they pull it out. You just so much talent. It makes me ill. I, I want to throw up when I talk about Georgia, but um, I think, yeah, I think they get it done. I, I've just seen too many first-year coaches look like deer in headlights, and you, you're playing the defending national champion. Sorry, Crump. Uh, I can't agree with you, buddy. Um, and, look, and look, Georgia Georgia lost a lot, but they also got a bunch of guys coming up that are going to turn in the first round pick. Exactly. It's not like they lost a bunch of talent they have no one to replace them with. Exactly. Um, so there's uh, our prediction. We we say Georgia will cover the 17, but go to Superbook Sports. Sorry, Superbook.com and download the Superbook Sports app there, Superbook Tennessee download it and uh, and get in on the action there and you can bet on that game you can take our advice you cannot take our advice uh don't do honestly don't do anything that we tell you to do because just uh you know you can judge from our record how you might feel about that although i will say our prediction to get to the ball state game now finally uh we both almost hit this thing right on the head uh, I got Ball State score exactly right. I predicted that they would score 10 points. They did, but I predicted 55 for Tennessee, and they put up 59. Just, ah, it escaped me just barely. And I think you were you were pretty similar. I think you said, what, 13 for Ball State? And mm-hmm. at 52 for uh, Tennessee. 52. So we both underestimated. Yeah. Uh, oh, ye of little faith. We, we got to <laughs> believe in Josh Heupel in that offense. Uh, more than we do, but let's get down to brass tacks with this game. 59 to 10, 
It's a, it's like the definition of a snoozer. Hinden Hooker is out of this thing with 10 minutes left in the third quarter. I mean, it was this thing went exactly to plan the way you would have hoped. But what what can we take from it, Zach? What were your uh, your initial impressions of of this beatdown? Well, there was nothing very exciting about the game after that opening series. I felt like, and that's not a bad thing necessarily. It just I mean, it just felt like Tennessee taking care of business. They didn't really have to do too much to beat Ball State. They only gave up 10 points, even though the defense seemed like they were kind of playing a little soft. They didn't bring a ton of pressure. They didn't generate a ton of pressure. When they did blitz, it was they, they brought like one linebacker or, or one DB in and uh, to kind of get some pressure going. But they didn't really show many exotic looks defensively. Uh, I, I hate the term vanilla at times, but that does feel like what they were doing defensively. Like they didn't show a whole lot on tape. Um, offensively, Ball State kind of forced Tennessee to do some stuff that they didn't probably necessarily plan to do. They were dropping most of their secondary back, kind of keeping everything in front of them. They were determined to not give up a deep shot, shot, which is what their head coach said after the game. And that pretty much worked. I mean, you had the one play to Jimmy Holiday from Joe Milton that went for 53 yards. Other than that, the longest play for Tennessee was, I believe, 30 33-yard run from Jalen Wright and a 32-yard catch from Romel Keaton. So Ball State kind of – they accomplished that, but they weren't able to stop Tennessee from running the ball, even though Tennessee didn't run the ball well at times. They still managed over 218 or 218 total rushing yards. A lot of that was just because of the volume. They ran the ball 51 times, which kind of surprised me. So they forced Tennessee to do some things they didn't necessarily want to do. That kind of concerns me moving forward because I wonder if other teams will kind of try that same strategy and be like, look, you're going to have to beat us on the ground. We're not going to give up those deep shots. And uh, if Ball State was able to defend those pretty well, you got to think SEC teams will be as well. So for me, the biggest takeaway from this game is that the key to success for Tennessee this year is running the ball effectively. Josh Eiple's offense is known for these deep shots and these big splash plays. But, but it all depends on that running game. If you can get that running game going, defense really has to respect it. They can't drop everybody back. That, that's what opens all of that up, and it just wasn't open last night. So Tennessee was able to take advantage of the, you know, the underneath stuff being open against an overmatched team, but can they do that against better teams? And I'm not talking just Alabama or Georgia. I'm talking Kentucky, South Carolina, some of these teams that you know they, they got a lot of better players than, than Ball State has. It makes all all this hard to break down when uh, the the play, as you mentioned, there was kind of vanilla. Really, on on the defensive side specifically, it makes it hard to know what to take away. You also had some players sitting out, kind of inexplicably. Jawan Mitchell, who is this man ever going to play for the University of Tennessee on the football field? I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, and, and just some of these guys where we were like, oh, we're excited. They, they you heard they were going to, they had a great fall camp and, and they're listed on the depth chart on the, the days leading up to the game. And then they sit out of the game. So there were some factors like that, even on top of the fact that, uh, you know, they, the secondary was playing kind of loosey goosey. I don't think that's going to continue against better teams. They weren't, uh, rushing uh, a ton of guys when they were blitzing. It, it just was. Them, I think, laying back and saying, hey, let's not show our full hand to Pittsburgh. And so what do you take from that? Um, I think you you do have to mention, hopefully we are all right about that because we're saying that last night, uh, my recap of Jonathan Crompton, former boss quarterback, um, he said the same. Hopefully we're all right about that and it's not some kind of concerning thing because that was the thing that during that post-game show, everybody just weighed in like, oh, I don't know, that defensive line, it just looked like they couldn't get pushed. It just wasn't, you know, uninspired football kind of. And uh, I would say take take a beat and let's see what happens against Pittsburgh because in these games against Ball State, you just don't know what to take away. Should you really invest a lot of worrying into, oh, the defensive line didn't look good against Ball State? Well, that in some sense, I might have been by design because they were still getting some amount uh, of push. It just wasn't aggressive all the way around. Like that's that's how I would put it. And then when you got to the third quarter, it was all third string guys that were in there. Um, so 
you know, take it with the grain of salt that it needs and, and just kind of go from there. Uh, and, and that, that was sort of my, I, I walked away feeling, feeling that way. I mean, when you win by 49 points, anything that you're kind of talking about or critiquing is nitpicking, right? I mean, they did what they were supposed to do against an overmatched team. You win by 49 points. What else, what else could you want there? If you're, if you're a Tennessee fan, I mean, that's, that's kind of what you expect from this Josh Heupel offense. And even though it wasn't super exciting last night, they still did what they had to do. So I don't think it's anything too negative. It's just some of that stuff, things I'm concerned about, like you mentioned, the the, the getting pressure, some of the run blocking stuff. You know, Warren Burrell, cornerback, looked kind of shaky at times. But a lot of that had to do with the fact that Tennessee just wasn't really generating pressure. The best pressure of the game, to me, was Aaron Beasley on the very first play of the game that really – that's kind of what created the opportunity for the interception on, the, on Ball State's first play from scrimmage. And I thought that was really the only time that it felt like they were able to really get to the quarterback and affect him and affect his decision-making. So that's something that definitely has to improve. You yeah. wanted to see Byron Young and Tyler Barron really do something big last night. Like against a team like Ball State, you're kind of expecting those guys to live in the backfield. I mean, you shouldn't have to bring pressure against those guys. So hopefully it was just Tim Banks kind of Laying back by design, not trying to show too much on tape to Pittsburgh because Tennessee does have a little bit of an advantage here going into this Pittsburgh game where Pittsburgh had to play a back and forth game against West Virginia. I mean, there was they had to lay it all out there. They didn't hold anything back in that game. So Tennessee gets a really good week of of game film to watch on Pittsburgh, whereas Pittsburgh gets to watch this game against Ball State and they're, you know, they got to be wondering the same thing that we're talking about. Like, what are they not showing on film that they've kind of, they're going to have for week two against Pittsburgh. So that's, that's a huge advantage. I think. I I think so. And I really hope so. Uh, but even, even if it's not, <laughs> even if they did actually struggle, I'm still not that overly concerned because even, uh, I, I liked the way that Crompton put this uh, last night. He talked about like the overthrows, uh, the, the couple of overthrows that Hinden Hooker had. He he kind of said like, well, Hinden Hooker having overthrows in this offense is kind of like like saying, oh no, he overthrew the ball. It's kind of like saying, oh no, we had a false start. It's gonna happen. You don't. You're not gonna give him that pass constantly. I mean it. It. The overthrows hit a wall with Joe Milton real quick last year. You're not going to put up with that constantly. But with the speed of this offense and the way that things unfold so quickly, this is not going to be without mistakes. And you kind of have to look at it that way. And that's true across the board. But uh, but by design, you may have some more instances like that um, just with the way that it, that it happens. And it could have just been first game. You know, first game jitters, he's a little little too hyped up and just it has to get more dialed in when it comes to this Pittsburgh game. I think they will be more dialed in because you get you're not gonna have the home crowd behind you. You're not gonna have that excitement. You're gonna be much more in a headspace of like, all right, we gotta go out and perform in this hostile environment. That kind of changes your mindset. And Hinden was great last year in situations like that. So um, you know, when you when you look at I, I don't know that it'll be this bad. But you look at a game like at Missouri. It was a it was an away game. Everybody in the stands is not cheering for you. Um, but it also wasn't like a brutal SEC environment. I kind of would equate that to how Pitt is going to be next week. I don't think it's going to be this brutal bearing down on you, hundred thousand people. There won't be that many people there. I think there will be a ton of Tennessee fans there. Um, it won't be friendly, but it's not going to be playing in. Death Valley on a Saturday night, you know, and yeah. so I, I think I think he will be more locked in uh, next week. This is a good point by by Mark here. Ball State was getting rid of the ball fast, also. That's definitely a factor with that defensive line. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a good point there. Oh, and I and I did uh, want to just quickly answer this. Ty and Christy Johnson asked, "How do I go back and watch your stream with Jonathan Crompton?" The A to Z Sports uh, YouTube. It is there. Uh, just a couple of videos down. You'll see it. It says post-game reaction really big. Or you can go to the Facebook page um, and find it there. Or And it's, again, click on videos, a couple of videos down. Or uh, Twitch, too, if you're a 
teenager. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> who, uh, whoever watches Twitch, but um, so so that I I just can't uh, can't panic too much. Now you you show these cracks in the seams next week, and it ends up losing you this game. I won't be happy. Uh, that will be very bad. But just uh, on an initial view, I just am not going to get too worked up uh, over these things. Now to to well, I, I'll I'll say to you, any anything else sort of thousand of you observations from that game before we relate what we saw in that game to to Pitt next week, Zach. I thought you you talked a little bit about Hendon Hooker and some overthrows. Some of those overthrows weren't necessarily, I felt, on Hooker. There was one specifically where Walker Merrill, I mean, he struggled to get off the line. He kind of got jammed up by yeah. the DB. Well, for that play to work, he's he's got he's to have, have a good release there and get past the DB. And Hooker's thrown it to where he thinks he's going to be. So you're you're really not in danger of an interception there because of the, the design of the play and where the defense is. So he can kind of let that ball go and not really worry about too much if Merrill's going to be there or not. But that's also not necessarily on Hooker because, it's again, it's how the play is designed. So there was one throw across the middle of the field that he missed that Josh Heupel mentioned in the post-game interview on SEC Network and also in his post-game press conference, and that was really the only throw that he pointed out that he kind of wishes Hooker had back. Some of those were, were throws that should have been caught. Thought the throw over the middle was kind of interesting, though, because it makes you wonder if you're going to see Tennessee go over the middle more. Last year, they really lived kind of outside the hashes and, and on the sidelines and stuff. That's where pretty much all their passes went. And it it always kind of made me wonder. It left the middle of the field open. And I guess for the running game where you're, you're using these RPOs, that's an option there that you've got. But I always wondered why they didn't utilize the throw game, the passing game, more in the middle of the field. So perhaps that's a wrinkle that we'll see this year. You heard Josh Heupel and Alex Golish talk about the offense evolving uh, from last year to this year and trying to predict how teams would defend them and kind of coming up with ways to combat that. So that's one thing I'll kind of watch for in this Pittsburgh game where the offense is going to have to be a little more creative. Do they use the middle of the field more? And does Hendon Hooker make those throws? We shall see. Uh, it, it just is a situation where I don't think we're going to see the real deal until – next week now your, your point about walker merrill there if he's not getting off the line against ball state i don't like how that might fare against Pitt. that wasn't a constant thing in that game and he scored yeah. a touchdown and it was fine uh and i loved he he scored that touchdown uh and then like went he didn't go into the crowd but like went into the crowd he was hyping everybody up that was cool to see what'd you think about gerald mincy doing the little oh, yeah. autograph thing that yeah was like an old goes, joe horn moment goes up and was I guess the kid like gave him his shoe, like took his shoe off. Yeah. And was like, here, sign my shoe. Because uh, like, who just has a random shoe with him? Uh, but then they said that the the cap wasn't off the pin. And so Gerald Mincy didn't get to actually sign it. But I, outside of that, I love that. It's so, oh, yeah. it's so fun. We, we mentioned this last night, man. This team is having fun as a whole. Where... Teams in the past, you had guys that were having fun within themselves. Juwan Jennings had a ton of fun playing Tennessee football. But the teams under Bush Jones weren't having a good time. I think everybody knows what I'm I'm saying when I say that. When you watch them play. This team is having fun. They have great personality. They have close. great leaders. They're very close. Yes, they, they are close. I mean, uh, I think Tom Hart said it on that broadcast last night. Um Joe Milton is the backup and could be bitter in that position and, and could be kind of a poison in that quarterback room, but he's Hinden hookers roommate. They're really, really good friends. Tom Hart said that their dogs are good friends. I think he said, <laughs> Yes. you know, it, it, it's just stuff like that. Like they're just having a good time, man. And that it's so refreshing. Even if they don't put up 10 wins this season or have some kind of special thing that happens, I'm happy just to see that because of how poisonous everything got at the end of Pruitt, how poisonous everything got at the end of Butch, uh, even if none of those guys are left, it's it just is great to see after the torture of those last few years with the last two coaches. I I just I, I like it for those guys because you don't go to play college football. I mean, you, you play it hopefully for for your future and uh, and to get an education or whatever the reason might be. 
but you don't play it to go and be like mentally tortured by your coach. And that was happening with some of the guys in the past. So I, I love that. I hope you, it continues. Yeah. You I mean you heard in the post game press conference last night, so many of the players talking about the, the brotherhood at Tennessee. And it was just the kind of the theme that I heard from them. It really stuck out to me. Jalen Hyatt and his press conference singled out Jimmy holiday and the play he made and how happy they were for Jimmy holiday. And you could just really feel like this team is rooting for each other. And you, Sometimes there can be teams where there's some some tension and guys kind of bitter, kind of like you're talking about there with Joe Milton and Hendon Hooker. And it's not always just the quarterback room. That can go to any position group. Uh, but these guys really root for each other, and that's huge. When you're rooting for each other to succeed, I mean, that just – it's contagious. And, and it, it makes everybody play better. It's a better atmosphere like you're talking about. So that's something that can't be can't be really be talked about enough, and it's really a, a key feature of the Josh Heupel era. I completely agree. DeMarcus said, not only was the cap still on the pin, but he held it upside down so he wouldn't have been able to sign it even if the cap wasn't on. <laughs> so they, they can't. I don't know. Can you be disciplined for that in college football? I know the NFL, they probably yeah. would. You know, that's happened before. I remember in the NFL, that has it was happened. Actually, I think it was Terrell Owens, wasn't it, that uh, that like had the Sharpie, maybe? Yes, I remember pulled it out of his shoe, right? Yeah, I, I mentioned Joe Horn earlier, but that was the cell phone. I forgot about yeah. that. He had the cell phone hidden in the in the goalpost there. But yeah, <laughs> so hopefully he he can't be uh, disciplined. Maybe since he didn't sign anything. I mean, it's all, all of that is kind of coming unraveled because even this week you had uh, you had C.J. Stroud that bought bought or I I think he's actually sponsored by Express Suits, um, and like got the whole team express gift cards. It's like, if you can do that at this point, how could anything like signing a shoe be against the rules? <laughs> well, it's the point? NCAA. So it yeah. doesn't have to make sense. It, exactly. Oh, it's, here's uh, we got a wise guy in here. Tennessee has fans with a laughing face. We had so many fans that me and crop had 15,000 viewers on a live stream last night. So there's a few that. of them. I saw that. Yeah. Uh, you know, just a few 15,000. Um, so, there's the the wrap of the, that that ball state game. To relate that now to Pitt coming up, I think we mm-hmm. all, me and me and Crompton were watching it while we were live streaming. Um, this game, I I just can't emphasize enough. I mean, I'm I'm like getting nervous thinking about this game. This is so important for this season. I think Florida is the most important. Mm-hmm. Absolute must win at home against a team with a, a first-year coach. But this pit game, what it could mean to go, even even if you just repeat from last year and win seven games for the rest of the season after pit, the fact that you would up that win total to eight with a win over pit is something. Like, that alone is huge. And then I think if you do win this game and then you beat Florida, I, I, think, I think you're talking nine-win regular season. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say for certain. Obviously, you got to beat some some decent teams even still, but it makes a nine win season so much more likely. And just what that would do for this program right now, <laughs> I do what what can you even say? It would just be so huge. Not to put too much pressure on this team; they don't need it. But let's all be honest here: this game's massive, man. It really is. Or I'll say, do you agree? Yeah, I think it's the biggest game for Tennessee since I don't know, maybe the the 2016 season after that 2019 season after the way it started I don't maybe maybe you can say pick out a game that season but to me it's it's the most important game in in six seven years because last year you didn't really have any expectations very early on in the Josh Heupel era you weren't really sure how it was going to go now you've got all this momentum you've been recruiting well you you scored 59 points in the first game. It's the eighth time that Tennessee has scored more than 40 points in the Josh Heupel era in just 14 games, which is totally insane. Um, so you got these huge expectations. Pittsburgh's coming off a very emotional game. It was a great crowd. That same atmosphere is probably not going to be what we see on Saturday against Tennessee with it being, I think it's a 3.30 game. So you, it's a it's a day game. It's not your top rival like it was this past week for Pittsburgh. They left a lot out there on the field against West Virginia. I mean, it could be kind of an emotional letdown game for for Pittsburgh, whereas Tennessee should be 
just they kind of found their groove in this first game. They should kind of be hitting their stride against Pittsburgh. So as far as that goes and the way that they gave up the rushing yards to West Virginia, which we talked about, that kind of can play into what Tennessee, what they might force Tennessee to do. Maybe Tennessee can take advantage of that, force Pittsburgh to kind of alter their game plan. I like the way it sets up for for Tennessee, but yeah, I'm kind of like you. That makes me even more nervous because then you you're kind of expecting to win, but it's not going to be easy. I mean, Pittsburgh's a good team. They're ranked in the top 25. Um, they they struggled at times against West Virginia, but they still found a way to win, and that ultimately that's what's important in those rivalry games like that. So they're going to be a dangerous team. Uh, it's not it's not going to be a game that I think Tennessee goes in there and just wins by. 21 28 points i think it's gonna be a tight game now maybe late in the game tennessee hits some plays and they they pull away but i don't know i'm, I'm pretty anxious about this one i think even with as much pressure as tennessee will have on them in this game just having the game being kind of a turning point in the season and in hypo's career so far at tennessee uh i do think a, a huge onus is on pitt in this game too, because they're the preseason top 25. They got talked about a lot in the preseason as like a sleeper playoff, blah, 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 you know, all that crap. And you're not going to lose the Tennessee and make it to the playoff. If you're pit, I mean, you just, uh, cause that, that probably means you're going to lose a couple more games in the ACC. It's just, it's over basically if you lose that game. So, uh, the don't, don't, take that for granted either so they have they have pressure too and they're coming off an unbelievably emotional game what i'm hoping for praying for is that this is really a situation like uh remember when tennessee beat memphis in basketball and became number one for the first time ever and then they went the very next game and lost to vanderbilt it was just the most disappointing thing uh hopefully that's what happens here with pitt First time they played West Virginia in forever and a day. And uh, it's the whole, you know, they sit across the mountains from each other, other there, up there. Um, and super emotional, comes down to the very last play and everything. And then maybe they just, they're deflated next week. Um, I would be so happy to see that because I think what could happen is that Tennessee comes out and blasts them right in the first quarter. Uh, I think it might have been Mark, actually, in, in the comments here. I think he might have said this last night, that Tennessee could sort of have a, uh, a, a South Carolina last year situation against Pitt. You come out, 21 nothing. All of a sudden, Pitt's shell-shocked, looking around, being like, what the hell just happened? And I, I, I don't think it'll be that for an entire game. Tennessee's not going to win that game... 59 to 10 but i think they could get up by a decent margin and hold on to that lead like they did against missouri like they did against south carolina last year i could absolutely see that happening where Pitt comes in low energy from this this emotional win and then tennessee pops them right in the mouth because they you know tennis we already said tennessee got to put its feet up this week they they had Ball State beat 23 seconds into this game. I mean, it was over before it was beginning. So uh, I I could just see that happening. I hope it does happen. Um, but you don't want to come into this game banking on hopes. Can Tennessee, if Pitt plays its best and Tennessee plays its best, who wins? I think Tennessee wins in that scenario. Just watching last night, West Virginia really gave them the business in that game. Now, JT Daniels, I think, was better than a lot of people were expecting. Keaton Slovis was maybe not as good as people were expecting. It also took a pick six for Pitt to win that game last night. So there were some factors there that that are worth talking about, I guess I would say. Um, but I think at both teams' best, Tennessee wins this game. But will... Will Pittsburgh bring their best and Tennessee doesn't? That's a problem. Will Tennessee bring its best and Pittsburgh doesn't? Well, maybe Tennessee does get a nice little blowout win. I don't know. Your your thoughts about how this might go. I think Pittsburgh's obviously not quite as good as they were last year. They lost the first-round pick at quarterback, uh, a really good wide receiver, and some other players. And Tennessee should have beat Pittsburgh last year. They start Hendon Hooker. 
they probably win that game. Even the way it went, they still had a chance. And, you know, you, you felt like, okay, if that would have been the Tennessee at the end of the year that played, they would have blown out maybe Pittsburgh or at least won by a couple of scores. So, you know, on paper, Tennessee should win this game, even though it's on the road. So I agree. If, if both teams play their best, I think the advantage is Tennessee. I think Josh Heupel does a really good job of getting his team prepared. The, really the only game last year where Tennessee just did not look like a Josh Heupel team or, or what we came to know as a Josh Heupel team was the Florida game. That was the only game really where that just wasn't, that wasn't the Josh Heupel that we, we got to know all year last year. So they don't really, they don't really just not show up under Heupel. I don't, I don't think that's going to be a problem. This team really does. They have fun, but they really do have a business approach. They're very focused and, and they don't look ahead. They're thinking about Pittsburgh. They're not thinking a couple of weeks down the road about Florida. That's not even on their radar right now. I think they, understand the importance of this game. So I think they'll be prepared. I think it really just comes down to execution. Uh, does Tennessee execute their game plan? Does Pittsburgh kind of deploy the same strategy as Ball State? Uh, if they do, can Tennessee get a push in the run game and make them pay? Can they pick up some chunk yardage with with Jalen Wright and Jabari Small and some of those guys running the ball? Uh, that'll be interesting uh, to see. I think really that's, that, to me, that's the, the key to the game. Um Brew McCoy, I thought, looked really good against Ball State. I thought his conditioning looked really well. He was set. Uh, you know, the tempo can kind of make things difficult in receivers, but he was on the line, set, ready to go every time. So he didn't look like he was really any rust there. The only thing I saw, and I know uh, Jordan Rogers got some some hate for, for his commentating style, and I tend to agree with most of that, but he made a really good point on there was a play where I think – Hooker had McCoy in the end zone and, and the throw was off a little bit. And Rodgers kind of put that on McCoy, not necessarily that he did anything wrong, but they just don't quite have that chemistry yet where McCoy could kind of anticipate where he needed to, to kind of get past the DP or to make his break to for the way that the DB was playing him. And that's something that will come with time as him and Hendon Hooker play more and more together. Uh, I'm sure they learned a lot playing with each other last night where it was kind of on, you know, it's a real game situation. You can practice all you want, but it's a lot different when you're actually playing in a game and you don't know what the defense is going to do. The coaches don't know what the defense is going to do. Uh, I think they probably learned a lot about each other last night. So hopefully that kind of translates into them, their connection being better against Pittsburgh. Because I think McCoy, I know he didn't do a lot last night, but I think he really has the potential to do a lot in this offense. And that was just, kind of him getting his feet wet, getting the rust off. He hasn't played a lot of football in the last two years, so it was hard to kind of expect him to come out and have like a Cordero Patterson in 2012 type game last night. West Virginia against Pitt. When you take away JT Daniels, 23 lost yards rushing, ran for 213 yards uh, against the Pitt Panthers last night. That's the whole game to me. Not the whole game. Tennessee has to play defense. That's a huge piece of it. But it's as far as the offense goes and playing balanced offense, because Heupel, as much as his offense kind of gets the reputation of being pass heavy, it's not. It's actually almost 50-50 run pass. And if you can get that run game going and put 200 yards up on these, these boys... And then you can put up 250 through the air. This is Tennessee's game to lose. I think if you can operate at close to the highest level that this offense can and put up, we, th this was a stat that Austin Stanley actually found. Uh, he said that in all of Josh Heupel's wins at Tennessee, Tennessee has averaged 51.25 points per win. Uh, which is insane. So you kind of extrapolate that out. You go, it, it took, what, 40, was it 48 to beat Kentucky last year? I could see this kind of going like the Kentucky game, potentially. I I think it's going to have to be close to that. You get over 40, 40 to 45, I'm feeling real good about Tennessee's chances in this game. You go below that, it, it could get dicey. I mean, I think you're going to give up you know, Pitt scored 38 
against West Virginia. And I'm not going to say that Tennessee is some crazy amount better on defense than West Virginia was last night. Um, in, in some sense, I think you could make the comparison that Tennessee is a team that would, at least in style of play, would fit into the Big 12 because it's so offense-heavy and defense is a little more on the back burner. Um, and I, I just think as, as at this point, as kind of lame as it is to say, because everybody says this, it's all about this offense. You, you got to score and you just got to outscore Pitt Cause I think Slovis is not as good as Kenny Pickett. I don't think he's even really that close, but he's still pretty decent and they're going to get theirs. Uh, as far as that goes. And so you just got to score more. Uh, you know, everybody's saying like John in, in the comments here, he said Burrell looked like his old self. I mean, you just have some elements like that where your DBs just aren't, they're not Georgia last year. This is not a defense filled with five stars. You cannot rely on that. And so you got to score points and it's going to come down uh, to that for, for Tennessee in this game. And I, think they can get it done uh you know (laughs) there's hope there's one thing that i kind of like about this matchup is the fact that slovis is not really a threat to run i mean he's never finished a season with positive rushing yards even dating back to his time at usc his best season was 2021 minus 36 yards obviously they include sack uh you know sacks in that Still, he's not, you know, he's not getting out there and, and running the ball and making, you know, defenses frustrated because he's picked up a third and eight by running for 13 yards. And that's something that killed Tennessee last year. So that's not a huge threat. I think that plays well in the in, in the Tennessee and what they do because, you know, like I said that's something they struggled with last year. So I like that about this matchup. I mean, really, there's a lot to like about the matchup. It's just the fact that Tennessee lost to him last year and this game's on the road. Uh, if that wasn't the case, I think you'd feel so much different about this game. If this is in Neyland Stadium, without hesitation, I'm saying Tennessee wins by 10. Yeah. 10 plus. If this is in Neyland Stadium where you have that crowd behind you, that's a big factor to me. This this right here is an interesting uh, back and forth that happened in the comments here. Chris Foster said, Keaton Slovis will get hit a lot. And John replied to him and said, we couldn't even hit Ball State. Fair point by John there. I do think the difference would be to Zach's point there that Slovis can't really run. Now, the kid last night didn't really run well, either, Paddock. If um, you put John's uh, other latest comment up up on the screen about the non-running uh, quarterbacks last year, that that's true. I, I think it was Bryce Young last year, maybe. He didn't really he's go a into bit of the a running game. quarterback, though. He's, well, he most- can. He can, but going into the Tennessee game last year, the only game he finished with positive rushing yards was against Mississippi State, 18 yards. Um, Against Tennessee, he had 42 rushing yards. So nothing crazy, but that was his highest total of the entire season. I mean, the national championship game, Georgia was all over him, minus 43. Most of that was because of sacks. So, I mean, John's right. Um, just because he's not a running quarterback doesn't mean Tennessee can't give up a 10-yard a run on, on third and seven that just takes the air out of the, the defense. It's very possible, but he's less of a threat than some of the other quarterbacks that Tennessee will see this year. So it's still still something Tennessee has to be cognizant of and, and, and prevent from happening, but I don't think it's as big of a concern as it would be against some other teams. I hope so, because that – it was just such a problem last year. The, the one that I think about that just gives me PTSD was that old Miss game. Uh, oh, God. It, it was yeah. just every play just like, can we not? Like, we were spying the kid, and they still couldn't. Ta- what, what's his? Why am I drawing a blank? Matt uh, Corral. Matt Corral. Yeah. I mean, they just could not figure out a way to get that kid on the ground when he was running. It was horrific. I think that's, so that's, a, that's game, a fair point by John there. That one game, I think, boosted Corral's draft stock by about a whole round. <laughs> I probably did. <laughs> but I I was going to say, to, to Chris's point that he said Slovis will get hit a lot, I think it is possible because I think Pitt is going to hold the ball for longer. It's it's a decently traditional offense. Um, although it's, it is, and it's a whole new offense because their, off, their offensive coordinator actually went to West Virginia 
strangely. After after Narduzzi, what, slammed him in the offseason? Didn't he yeah. just talk about how he never wanted to run the ball? He just, just wanted to throw the ball? Is the uh, Mark Whipple, who, fun fact, is a very close friend of Butch Jones, so make of that what you will. <laughs> no wonder they lost. Yeah. <laughs> but I I think there is a possibility of that, where he's, he stays home more, and hopefully the contain can be better. Uh, and, and Tennessee maybe does get some hits. And it, it goes back to our theory that we were talking about, uh, where Tennessee just didn't do too much aggressive rushing last night the 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 blitzes were not super heavy uh even when they did blitz and so uh maybe they come with the heat next week yeah that'll be super that'll be super interesting to watch because we talked about earlier and you just mentioned that they didn't really bring more than one extra uh defender uh, on pressure like one guy blitzing the whole night. They never brought more than five guys from what I recall didn't watching the game last night. No, they didn't really have to, but you wonder how are they going to use that against Pittsburgh or some better teams? Are they going to dial up some blitzes that we did not see against Ball State? You have to assume that they will, uh, but whatever that looks like, that's what I'm kind of interested to see. God, it would be so fun if they just came out like absolutely blazing. And and Tennessee did a pretty decent job of mm-hmm. getting in the backfield last year. At one point, led the country in tackles for loss. Yeah. Um, and even last night, the only tackles for loss I think in that entire game, Joshua Josephs and Christian Harrison shared a tackle for loss mm. in that game. Um, not super ideal there, even if Ball State got the ball out really quickly. But take it to what it is. I mean, you even had a play where the pressure on the quarterback got you an interception in that game. So the, it's not like you didn't have, you know, have any impact on the game from the defensive line. It was certainly there. Uh, and they, they did a good job holding that, that run game decently in check. Uh, that, what was it? 33. That kid was kind of tenacious and they, they did a good job uh, adjusting through the game uh, to him. And so I, uh, I, I think, I think we're, Right, that it's it's a, a vanilla look last night, and we're gonna see a lot more against Pitt. I certainly hope so. It's just that's a giant, giant thing for this defense. If you can get these dudes who are really kind of senior leaders on this team, they got to get into the backfield. By- Byron Young, Tyler Barron. I mean, you just they have to be those guys. Play up, man up, and and make some plays because that's. Honestly, could end up being the difference in this game. You you come down, and it's forty five to thirty eight, and you make one stop, and that's the game. Like it can be that close. So, uh, hopefully, hopefully they do it. Um, I I got uh, one one quick fun thing at the at the end of the show to throw at you, Zach. I'll, I'll see what you think. But before we do that, prediction for the pit game uh we we won't be back monday again our our regular show will be mondays at 4 p.m we're streaming big orange podcast on all the a to z sports socials youtube facebook twitch uh and then re repost it after the fact on on apple and spotify but uh so we we won't be back on monday we'll it'll be a week and a half before we're back here in the saddle but your score prediction for pit sack Will Tennessee go to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and knock off the Panthers? I uh, When we did our season predictions, I predicted Tennessee to win this game. And nothing I saw last night from either team, and I didn't see the whole Pitt game because I was on the Tennessee game. Uh, so I only saw that game after the Tennessee game ended. But I expected Pittsburgh to win that game. You know, West Virginia wasn't that great last year. I think they were like six and seven. Uh, and they're, they got a new offensive coordinator. So that's... Uh, that wasn't a surprise. In fact, I was almost surprised it was as tight of a game as it was. And Tennessee, they won by 49. You kind of expect that. So I'm not changing anything on that. I do think Pittsburgh's going to score. I, I kind of feel like this is uh, going to be like you described, where this game kind of it's going to be in the 40s. I think both teams get in the 40s, but I think Tennessee scores more. I've got 48-41 Tennessee winning this game. 48-41. That's a good prediction. So I like this actually goes right along with what I'm going to say. Elias Gray here. I believe that's how you would say this name. Gentle reminder that Tennessee was like four completed passes to wide open receivers mm-hmm. from being up like 28 to seven last year. Absolutely true. 
we said all season, if you don't start Joe Milton in that game, does Tennessee win? I have always thought that that was true, uh, personally. So I'm going to stick with my prediction from last week, Zach, where I think Tennessee going, will come you're out going, with You're doing 55 to 10? 55 to 10. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to repeat my, yeah. my prediction for last week. Uh, but I'm going to up it. 62 okay. to 10. Um, uh, no. Uh, but my, my prediction from last week when we did the full season preview, I think Tennessee is going to come out blazing this one. And I think that Pittsburgh is going to be a little sluggish from, from the emotional game. you got, what is it, nine days to prepare for this game. The, the home environment is going to be serious, but it's not going to be a crazy SEC environment like Tennessee is probably going to see like at LSU later this season. Um, and I think they just play, they're playing, there is pressure on them, but they're playing with a little bit of house money. You're not expected to win this game. I think Pitt will probably be slightly favored coming in. I guess we'll see. Um, so I'm going to say Tennessee comes out and this one gets up 17 to zero, like real quick, something like that. 17, 14 to zero. Um, maybe not as much as South Carolina last year where it's like, what was it? 28 to zero. I think, I don't think it'll be like that, but yeah, four, 14 to zero, 17 to zero, something like that. And then Tennessee hangs on and they end up winning. I'll say 48, 38. That's my final prediction there. So a 10 point win, uh, Elias, whose comment I just, uh, used there. He says 44-21-ish. Balls get up early. Pitt becomes one-dimensional. And corner blitzes shut mm. down at least two pit drives. Man, that would be if beautiful, that, wouldn't it? If that happens, you got to feel really, really good about the uh, Tennessee the rest of the season. And I'm not saying that that's unlikely by any means. I think we're going to learn a ton about Tennessee in this game that we didn't yeah. learn last night. But if that's, if that's the outcome, you got to feel really good about Tennessee moving forward if they can hold Pittsburgh to 21. Mark says 48-17. to 17. Vols. Uh, I like that prediction. Maybe a little more optimistic than I'm being, but you never, you never know. I mean, me and Mark think Tennessee are going to score the same amount of points. He thinks a little bit less of Pitt than I do, but <laughs> you know, hey, we're on a similar page. Uh, they can Bill's, generate some turnovers. Yeah, and and that that could turn into a blowout. Bill said, "Did you all think it was going to be any different?" I don't know exactly what you're referring to, Bill. Did we think that the Ball State game was going to be any different than it happened, or? Because uh, not really, I think the Ball State game went about the way that I was thinking. I I think at most you could have had more pressure on the quarterback and a little more dialed in Hinden Hooker. But at you know what would that have even meant? You win sixty six to ten. I mean, that's yeah. like how much better could it have really gotten? I don't know. Because um, they they kind of just. I thought we might see more deep throws, but again, the way Ball State played them, they didn't really have to do yeah. that. So that's probably why they didn't try to force it. That was the only surprise to me, but that had more to do with Ball State and, and their approach than Tennessee. From from what we saw last year, I I would say expect deep throws going forward. I Heupel did it so much last season. I mean, it was a linchpin of that offense. So I I'm, think Ball State was also committed to not even if Tennessee even when Tennessee was picking up yards on the ground. I mean, they got him a few times and stuffed him close to a line of scrimmage. But even when Tennessee had some good runs, Jalen Wright had a few, Dylan Sampson had a nice run, and it, they were just so committed to not getting beat over the top that they were not going to change their approach no matter what. Like, they weren't going to allow that to happen. So, like I said, that that's more about Ball State than about Tennessee, really. Well, there you go. 48-38 for me, and yours was 40... Uh, 48-41. 48-41. So we both think 48. Mm -hmm. um, and then you you think they'll score three more points than I do. Tennessee wins by a touchdown there. Ah, man, I'm I'm nervous. Um, oh, this this was – I'm glad Mark said this. Joe Milton had a nice touchdown throw in that game. Um, we kind of covered this last night with, with me and Crump, but uh, I think it might genuinely be true that Tennessee has the best backup quarterback in, in America right well, now. Well, more Joe than Milton. that, I think you saw – you know, obviously he's he's not he still has some some flaws. I mean that that ball he threw to I think it was Jacob Warren in the end zone was it like a hundred and ten mile an hour fastball when he really could have just kind of lofted it up there and it would have been an easy score. But other than that, he looked much better, and I think it just shows how good Josh Heupel and his staff are developing yep. quarterbacks. And when was the last time you could could say that about Tennessee? Like when Lane Kiffin 
was there and no non when Crompton was there? I mean, is that the last time that you really had this kind of quarterback development? Even when Tyler Bray was was in town, that was more about the offensive style and Tyler Bray's big arm than than Tyler Bray. And, and Dobbs was the same player the whole time he's at Tennessee. It was just his physical abilities that that shined. It wasn't anything that, that Butch Jones did. So it's the first time really since Lane Kiffin, David Cutcliffe, since those guys were in town that I feel confident that Tennessee's going to – like quarterbacks are going to get better each year they're at Tennessee. Yeah. So much nice stuff. I. Uh, I think we we said it on that full season preview, like this season. If if Hinden Hooker actually put up a Heisman performance and and just got to the stage, didn't win. You don't even have to win. Just got there. I don't John's think Tennessee's right. Tennessee John, will do what. John's right there. I, I don't want his comment to go unnoticed. Like Milton looked much more physical running the ball, and that's true. Know. That that he, was the thing that really stuck out about that old Miss game last year he when he stayed ran out in of bounds. bounds. Yes, he looked like a completely different guy running the ball on that run last night. He really did. Yeah. Uh, but but I, you know, if if Hooker actually puts together a Heisman campaign, Tennessee will not be without a five star quarterback for the entire time Josh Heupel is here. Yeah, I, I think for sure. But let's all right. So five minutes left here, Zach. Before we gotta get off, we're we're time crunched. Um. A to Z has to talk about Harold Landry tearing his ACL. Kill me. Go Titans, baby. <laughs> Sad What day. was your but initial reaction? I, I was talking to Austin Stanley at the time, owner of A to Z Sports. We were on a live stream uh, strategizing. I, I literally, with the actual word, went, what the? F-? And I, you know, I said what I can't say on this stream. <laughs> So that's, that's how it went. You know, I was just like, you have to be absolutely kidding me. (sighs) Um, But let's finish with this. Mark, Mark has brought it up through the podcast. I told him we were going to talk about it yesterday. Uh, So this week, Carnell Tate posted an Instagram pic of himself in a Tennessee Jersey with the director of recruiting at Tennessee. And he told Tennessee's director of recruiting, happy birthday. Mark thinks Carnell's going to flip. It would be a massive get for Tennessee. Um, if and just what the perception of that, if Hypo was able to flip him from Ohio State, would be insane. Um, is that going to happen, Zach? Will Will Carnell Tate actually be a Vol, or is he just playing with us? Well, not only did he post a photo, his mom also yeah. posted a photo. So strange, uh, wishing her a happy birthday. So. Either that they just have the greatest relationship of all time, which usually you would think would translate into a commitment, or or they're trolling the fan base, which I don't think is the case. I don't think it, his mom would do that. I don't think he would do that. I don't know. I mean, when this talk first started uh, uh, like a couple of weeks ago, I was like, nah, there's no way. And Tate posted something on Instagram. It was real vague and cryptic and said, y'all, y'all make a big deal out of nothing or something like that. I kind of forgot about it. And then he posted that photo. So... I don't know. I mean, like, are they like related? That's what I thought initially. Like, I was like, is this is this his cousin? Like, who who is like the best recruiting director in America? Happy birthday! Congratulations, you and your mom both post that. That's so weird, dude. I I like recruits do weird stuff. This is like out there. There has to be a chance. Like, there has to be. You don't. I don't believe there's not. Like, I. I there has to be some amount of smoke there, surely. Yeah, I'll be interested to see if he's on campus for any games this fall. I, I think I had heard that he might have a visit planned, but it, you, you you never know if those visits are actually if they follow through on those or not. So if he gets if he's on campus some this fall, that that could really be really interesting. Nico's very persuasive, and he he doesn't let up. He's you know he he's a hard recruiter out there yeah. him and and i know he's on francis maujoa too i saw somebody mention mark mentioned him as well he's committed to miami i mean that would be huge if if hypo flips a five star from ohio state i mean when i mean when was the last time tennessee had a recruiting win that massive we're not not just landing a five star but taking him from a program like ohio state and flipping him that would be massive for the program and insane. you got to think the the 2024 class would probably get off to a very quick start after that as well yeah you you instantly go to you are locked in at a 10 uh top 10 class 
if you do that. The perception's unbelievable, stealing a kid from Ohio State. I mean, you just... What what could you even say about that? It would be absolutely absurd, just crazy. Um, but don't if if Tennessee turns in like a magic campaign this season, wins ten games or something, don't count that out at all. At you know, all, Tennessee beats Florida, wins ten games. Hendon Hooker just gets invited to the Heisman's ceremony, and Cedric Silman, Tillman plays himself into like a first round pick. If those three things happen, then yeah. then Tennessee's going to end up with a top five class next year. I would have no doubt. I mean, I made this example last night. The, the um that first year when Grant Williams broke out with basketball, how quickly that perception changed. of like, mm-hmm. oh, well, Tennessee's like an elite basketball program now. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, here we are. And then suddenly, five-star player, five-star player, five-star player, five-star player, five-star player. And it, that's just how it can go. You just got to turn that corner, baby. Turn that corner, Josh. Take us there. All right. That's, uh, that's it. Like I said, so actually, A to Z, I think uh, they're having on a physician to talk about Harold Landry tearing his ACL. I'm going to go throw up and cry about it. Um, just uh, a real day ruiner that was until Tennessee brought me back from the brink. Thankfully they, they, them whipping ball state helped. Um, I'm Charlie Burris. That is Zach Reagan. Thanks again to everybody for watching. Thanks to everybody weighing in uh, on the comments. We wouldn't be able to do this without you go download the Superbook sports app. Help them out because they're helping us out. Um, a to zsports.com, youtube.com. Type in A to Z Sports. Subscribe there so you don't miss uh, anything that we're putting out. A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed. At Charlie Scorpers. At Zach Fiend. Yeah, A to Z Sports on uh, Twitter, Instagram. And uh, otherwise, I think that is it. Uh, we'll talk again. We're not going to be back Monday, but Mondays at 4 p.m. going forward, except for this one because of Labor Day and everything. Um, so the next Monday, we'll talk to y'all then. See you guys later.